You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. in their own hands and we try to circumvent God and his commandments to get what we want. We do that all the time. And if you're honest with yourself, you can put yourself in that place. You see that it happens. I know it happens to me, but you guys are so much more spiritual than I am. And it happens to me a lot. Things look overwhelming to me and I try for the quick fix. I look for the quick fix instead of waiting for God, waiting for God to take care of the problem, waiting for God. What was your initial reaction when you read or heard about King Saul offering a sacrifice when he should have waited for Samuel? Are there times in your life that you've jumped the gun on something rather than waiting on the Lord? In today's message, Pastor Dave reflects on the impatience of King Saul in light of our own impatience. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13 as he continues his message, The Beginning of the End. No one was allowed to sacrifice except the priest and prophet. No one was allowed to sacrifice. It's God's commandment. He clearly went against that commandment. He does the unthinkable. He makes the sacrifice himself. Wow. Wow. Now, before we beat up good old Saul, before we take him to task here, you've got to put yourself in his place. How would you act? There's an army coming at you who you can't see the end of. Maybe there's a circumstances you are in right now that you can't see the end of it. The end of it so, seems so far away, and just when you think you see a light in a tunnel, you see Santa Fe under it. Think about it. Just when you see a light in the tunnel, you look and it says Santa Fe under it. It's a train. (laughs) So, yeah, I knew you knew that. I love you, Joe. Put yourself in there. This army coming against them is huge. The circumstances that you're facing are enormous. They're enormous. You're outnumbered a zillion to one. Everybody with you is bailing out. The 3,000 men that he had there, actually the 2,000 that he had, Jonathan had 1,000, the 2,000 he had, they're bolting. They're hiding in thickets. They're hiding in caves. One had a rock on his head and just stood there. Will they see me? They're hiding everywhere they can. These guys are panicking. So everybody who was your best friend, everybody who was your best friend before you got into the circumstance, they bolted. They're gone. They're gone, and the circumstances aren't gone. They keep coming. They keep coming. Your best friend, who happens to be a prophet, who happens to be a man man of God, said, I'll be there in seven days, and he's late. At least he's late to your thinking. He's late. The problem keeps getting worse and worse by the second. What do you do? 
Now, of course, the stock answer to the Bible study is pray. Yeah, call out to God and pray. That's the stock answer. And we all will go, yeah, that's what we'll do. That's what you do. Yeah. You'll be scrambling around trying to do something just like Saul. You'll be scrambling around trying to do something to, to fix the thing, to get it fixed. You go down to the local bookstore and go, I know there's something in here about a thousand army coming to get me. Wait a minute. Here it is. Here it is. How to take care of an army in seven easy steps. I mean, come on. We'll do this. Instead of praying and seeking the Lord, Saul does the sacrifice himself? It's crazy. It's crazy. We either take matters in their own hands and we try to circumvent God and his commandments to get what we want. We do that all the time. And if you're honest with yourself, you can put yourself in that place. You see that it happens. I know it happens to me, but you guys are so much more spiritual than I am. And it happens to me a lot. Things look overwhelming to me, and I try for the quick fix. I look for the quick fix instead of waiting for God. Waiting for God to take care of the problem. Waiting for God. Medicine does it all the time. Medicine does it constantly. You go in and go, yo, I'm a little depressed. Oh, here, here, take those. The medicine didn't work. Oh, we're going to up it. Oh, we're going to up it again. Up it again. It's medicine's fix. The promises of God are available for us to take by faith. They're there and we're available. And we need faith and patience to receive them. Faith and patience have to go together. There's an interesting, interesting set of verses. Bill covered them a while back in Hebrews 6. Some interesting verses in Hebrews 6. In Hebrews 6, specifically verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust to forget your work or the labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. What do you need to inherit the promises of God? Faith and patience. Faith and patience. Two things, faith and patience, are necessary. Why? The he that comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Nothing pleases God except faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I must have faith in God's word. I must have faith in God. I must have faith in God's ability. I must have faith to know that God is able to do that which he has promised to do. And that which he has promised, he's able to perform for me. I have to believe that. I have to believe that. We study the Borough Bible. We study the Word of God in a constant time. There's promise after promise after promise after promise in here. Do we just gloss over them and don't take them into our own? Do we just look at them? By faith, we have to take everything because you have nothing that was given to you except by faith. Everything we have by faith, everything, and we take it with us. I must not waver in my faith. I must be steadfast and immovable in my faith. And I must have patience as well. <sighs> because God doesn't always respond to my prayer the minute I pray it. Oh, he responds and he's doing something, but I usually don't see it. God allows many times to test my faith and a period of time between my prayer and an answer to that prayer. That patience in which faith is tested. Many believe that Saul's faith is being tested right now with what's happening. And he's failing miserably. 
says, so let's be follower of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. We must believe the promise and then wait patiently for God to keep his word. Look through this book again. Look through the scripture. Name one time that God was unfaithful. Name one time when God did not do what he said he was going to do. You cannot. You cannot. And if you believe that God works all things together for good, for those that loved him and are the called according to his purpose, then you must stand on that promise. If you believe I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, you must stand on that promise. If you believe he's given us everything for life and godliness, you must stand on that promise. If you go through Ephesians 1 and you look at all the things that we have by faith in Christ and all the things that God has given us, we get those by faith. And we need to wait. I wait. Ugh. One W word I don't like. Wait. Ah. We need to wait because God's timing is perfect. God will not let us down. We must believe in the promise and then wait patiently for it, for God to keep his word. But what we usually do is we flee from the promise. We flee from the victory. The victory that was won, we flee from it. We run from it. And usually, we're running from it just before the victory happens. It's ready to happen. Look at what happened. Saul does the sacrifice. He sacrifices an illegal sacrifice, a sacrifice that God won't accept because it was only supposed to come to a priest. And after he's finished the sacrifice, after he's coming down from the altar, what happens? What did the scripture say? Samuel appeared. Samuel was coming. God was answering Saul, but he didn't wait for the answer. God gave Saul assurance that he would always be with him. I wonder why Saul didn't cry out to God. We get the same circumstances. Let that be too hard on those guys. We, this, we see a huge problem, a huge circumstances, and we don't cry out to God. Maybe because Saul never did in the past. Remember, Saul didn't have much spirituality before God called him. We talked about that. Maybe he didn't know, or maybe he didn't think of it. Maybe he was relying on his own skills, and we do that way too many times. We rely on our own self. Until we learn to trust God and wait on his timing, we cannot learn the other lessons that he wants to teach us. We can't receive his promises. Saul had all the physical markings of a great king. He was tall, taller than anybody in the kingdom. He was good-looking, strong, but he didn't have a heart towards God. He didn't have a heart towards God, and God wanted him to lead God's people. Oh, how scary it is when a shepherd when a pastor, when a minister doesn't have a true heart for God and God puts him in front of his people. Ouch. Scary. Scary times. You don't belong to me. You belong to God. I've said that before. You're God's children. You're God's sheep. Everybody went, and you're going to find out. I forget whether it's this week we read it or it's next week that Saul now has an army of 600. He has an army of 600. If you're going against the Philistines and what we read, if they really had 30,000 chariots, that seems bizarre. They really had all those men. You're going to go against that army? Let me tell you the first thing you better have is faith. You better have faith. So Saul's character is decaying rapidly. I mean, it's sliding, folks. It's going down 
fast like the Titanic at the head. And he says this in verse 10 through 12. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went right out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people who were, were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down to me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He's deceiving himself. He's deceiving himself. First of all, what I see here is the deception when he meets Samuel, it's almost like he pays the part of the hypocrite. He comes out and says, hey, Samuel, how you doing? Good to see you. It's like nothing happened. He's out there expecting Samuel to bless him. Next, Samuel is late, and Saul, notice he blames him. You're late. The soldiers are scattering. He's starting to blame everybody else except who? Starting to blame everybody else. And it's easy to blame everybody else. And look at the word here in verse 11. In the second sentence, it says, and, when, and Samuel said, what have you done? Paul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me. He was walking by sight, not by faith. He looked around and saw his circumstances, and he got real panicky. He saw that they were running away. He was walking by sight, not by faith. How many times are we swayed by what we see? Sometimes what we see is the exact opposite than what God's trying to tell us. And we believe what we see instead of the truth of God's word. We believe the lie because we see it. And instead of walking by faith and believing in God's promises, we believe the lie. Saul could have at least prayed. He could have at least asked for the Lord's counsel and help, but sadly, he was thinking totally out of the will of God. We're all pretty good at making excuses, and we're all pretty good at rationalizing our actions before God, and we're always quick to blame everybody else. It's easier to blame everybody else for my problems than for me to take responsibility for them. It's easier to blame everybody. Easier that way. You remember back in the garden? Adam? It's the woman! The woman! Eve? It was a snake! It was a serpent! I don't have anything to do with this. How easy we blame instead of taking responsibility for what we've done. Instead of saying, I've sinned, I've fallen short. We blame somebody. The devil made me do it. I don't think so. This unfortunately would be Saul's trademark. He would consistently minimize his own sin and emphasize the sins of others. It's not the way a man of God should act. It's not the way a man of God should act. If we are faithful, if if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you must confess your sin. You must own up to what you've done wrong. So the decline began with pride. It moved to unbelief, impatient, and being a disobedient to God's word. And then it went into deception. He lied about everything that was happening, and he didn't confess his sin. He didn't confess his sin. And finally, the last characteristic of Saul's decline was folly. Read 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. 
You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall be shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. It was completely foolish of Saul to think that he could disobey God and get away with it. Even more foolish that Saul thought that his disobedience would bring a blessing upon him and his army. Paul asked the question in Romans 3.8, shall we do evil that good may come? Heaven forbid. Sadly, one of the commentators said, this is the logic of hell, not the law of heaven. Saul was extremely foolish to think that a sacrifice of a king at the wrong time was a good sacrifice of a priest at the right time. He was foolish to walk by sight and not trust in God's promises. When this happens, we are in sin. Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Saul clearly was sin. Saul's faith was superstitious faith. It was very much like Eli when they carried the Ark of the Covenant out to battle. It was superstitious faith doing the right thing at the wrong time. Paul's pride, impatience, disobedience, deception, were all judged by the Lord. They're all foolish acts, and they were judged by God. And Samuel pronounced the sentence. Let me read it one more time. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I saw an interesting note one time. And it was sent to me as a letter. And when I opened up, it says, you can never keep that which is not yours. I like that. I like that. We can never keep that which is not ours. God has given us all these things. God has given us these gifts. It's God's gifts. It's God's gift to us. The crown would be taken from Saul and would be given to another. We know this to be David. We know this to be David. David is going to come on the scene soon. And this meant there would be no dynasty for Saul and his family. But let's apply these things to our own lives. Has God made promises to you? If you're a student of Scripture, we talked about it. God has made promises to you in Scripture. All through his word, there are promises. Has God promised to show up in your time of need? Well, yeah, he's promised never to leave nor forsake you. Has God promised that he will work all things together for good? Yeah. Yeah. Has God promised you that he will take away the cares you cast upon him? Cast all your cares on me, for he cares for you. Has God promised you that he will give you the peace deep in your soul? Has God promised that he will give you the desires of your heart? If God has made these promises, we must do several things. Number one, we must believe God at his word, for he cannot lie. We must have faith that God will accomplish that which he has declared to accomplish in his word. And we must be patient and wait for the promises to take place instead of taking matters into our own hands. We must be steadfast and immovable, believing his promises to the very end. Why? The Christian life is not a sprint. 
It is not a hundred-yard dash. The Christian life is a marathon. It is a marathon. To complete in a marathon. Has anybody ever run a marathon? I have. I ran a marathon one time. May 6, 1978. Mile high of Denver United Bank Marathon. 26 miles, 385 yards. I finished. But to get that way, I didn't just wake up on that day and go, I think I'll run a marathon today. No. I trained. I built up endurance. I worked and worked and worked and ran mile after mile after mile after mile, getting my body in shape so that I could run this race. Mile after mile. Endurance takes patience and it takes training. It takes testing. When training for the marathon, you don't run 26 miles at all, ever. You may run 20 miles at one time, but you never run the full 26. You constantly move. You build it up a little at a time. That's why you get your endurance. And you run sprints. You run long, slow distances. You run all kinds of things, getting the endurance ready so that you can go out the day of the marathon and run all 26 miles, 385 yards. That's the only way you're going to get endurance. In God's view, we must endure hardships, testings, and the like so that we be faithful. So our faith will be built up. Saul was being tested, and he failed miserably. Saul was being hammered, and he failed terribly. When we are faced with an enormous enemy, we're not to panic. We're not to run and hide and put rocks on our head. We're not to get sidetracked, and we're not to throw in the towel. Oh, the enemy's too big. I surrender. No, Christ has won the victory. The victory is over. Let me leave you with this quote from Spurgeon. (laughs) Spurgeon said, The snails made it to the ark because they had endurance. You might be a snail. I might be a slug, he said. We might move very slowly, but we will make it to the end if we simply endure. Instead of screaming, time is running out and panicking, searching for advice from the world, we are to wait for God to step in and show the real solution. So who is the bravest among us? Who is the mature brother and sister in our midst? It's the one who has learned not to panic, but to trust in God in all things. That's the one. That's the mature one. When we're all running around, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And you're standing there just sitting down there reading your Bible going, no, God's in control. Saul didn't do that. And it cost him his kingdom. It cost him everything he had. It cost him his kingdom. It was done. Yes, he's going to reign for 20 more years. He's going to have a lot of problems when David comes on the scene. A lot of things are befalling this poor man. He's going to end up committing suicide on the battlefield. He and Jonathan are going to die the same day. All because he took things in his own hand and didn't trust in God. Let's not be like that. Let's trust in God. Amen. You are We're so glad you joined Pastor Dave Shank today for A Sure Hope. This study in 1 Samuel has been taking you further into God's process of fulfilling promises. 
and it may not look like you'd always want it to. God gave a promise to David when he was young and unequipped to handle the magnitude of what was to come. God still gave him a glimpse to the future though, and we walked with David to help him grow and learn. God's plan included trials along with victories, but he was faithful to David throughout. Right now in our country, we are facing a trial never before experienced. Don't fear, God is as faithful to you now as he was to David. He will bring you through, and you can lean on Him for strength and comfort in the waiting. We'd encourage you to read ahead in 1 Samuel and discover for yourself how God works life out, and let Him encourage you through it. How can we be praying for you during this 1 Samuel study and during this unusual time in history? Please give us a call and let us know at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We are pleased to be able to bring you teachings from God's Word on each edition of Assure Hope. If you'd like to hear more from this series in the book of 1 Samuel, visit assurehoperadio.com. There are several teachings on various books of the Bible available online for download, and we encourage you to share them with friends and family. That's all we have time for. Thanks for tuning in to Assure Hope.